This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. Today is August the 26th. I'm John Dunn, and this week is all about senior pets. It's a group of animals that sort of defies logic for me a little bit. We all love the hardest cases, don't we? I mean, that's why a lot of us do this, to save pets that no one else will. So then tell me why there are so few organizations across the country dedicated to helping them. This week's guest is Dr. Lisa Longhofer with the Gray Muzzle Organization. They are one of those few organizations that focuses solely on seniors. As you'll hear, they are a national organization, and amongst other things, they offer grants to shelters and rescues to do programs specific to saving this overlooked population of pets in need. We'll have all of the information about Gray Muzzle and the grants, lots of great information on life-saving programs for senior pets. You can find it all on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Again, bestfriends.org slash podcast. I'm excited to share my conversation with Lisa, but I want to let you know that we're going to be doing another episode on this issue next week. We talked to Kristen Peralta from Vintage Pet Rescue in Rhode Island. They're a relatively new organization, but they've really been able to grow their work quickly. And part of that is no doubt tied to their clever marketing. We really just try to focus on the dog and we try to do it with humor a lot. That's kind of our thing. We did uh, a few months ago, we did a an ad where we talked about our dogs like they were used cars and we were a used car salesman and, you know, bald tires and clean interior and high mileage and stuff, which, you know, people really enjoyed. We we're just super honest and we try to do it with humor and we think it really, it really helps people kind of connect with the dogs. Again, the next episode will be my chat with Kristen from Vintage Pet Rescue. Hopefully we can learn a little bit about what makes them so successful and you can use some of those tips and tricks yourself. But let's get into this episode this week, Dr. Lisa Longhofer from the Gray Muzzle Organization. Lisa, I'm so glad to be able to chat with you because, I mean, what an important you know, segment of the shelter population, a group of animals, you know, seniors, I just... They don't really get a lot of focus. I couldn't agree with you more. I think there are a lot of opportunities to to do more for senior animals. And I think that as we work towards getting to be a, a no-kill nation, attending uh, to the needs of senior animals is, is going to be an integral part of that. Well, before we get into that, I do want to know more about you because uh, I looked at your bio and your background is like so interesting. You've done so many things, been involved in so many things. Uh, we could probably have you on, I think, just about every episode. But uh, tell me more about you. Who is Lisa? <laughs> sure. So my background is actually in research related to children's exposure to violence, believe it or not. So that's how I started out my career. And about, oh gosh, at least a decade or so ago now, I decided that I wanted to use those skills, things like grant writing and evaluation and program design and development to help animal related organizations. So honestly, what I did is I 
did some Google searching and found organizations around the country that were doing things that I thought were really interesting. And I emailed their executive directors and said, I'm a, an evaluator and researcher who also happens to be an animal lover. And I know how to write successful grant proposals and design programs and evaluate them. Would you like to collaborate? And oh, by the way, I'll do everything for free. So that's how I got my start. <laughs> People were very receptive. Um, and, and that turned then into being my, my full-time line of work. And I joined Gray Muzzle in 2015, and it's been an incredibly fulfilling experience. The Gray Muzzle organization, very few uh, out there that really focus on senior pets uh, at all. I think that's the case. Anyway, you could tell me. Uh, and, and certainly, I believe Gray Muzzle is the only national organization, grant-giving organization, solely on senior pets, right? So tell me more about Gray Muzzle uh, and, and maybe just the sort of general landscape out there uh, in terms of organizations, groups that are focusing on senior pets. Sure. Yeah. You know, Gray Muzzle is a national organization, as you mentioned. And we're really, to the best of my knowledge, the only organization that is focused specifically on senior dogs nationwide. So we um, work to improve the lives of at-risk senior dogs by providing funding and other um, resources to animal welfare organizations across the country. So every year we provide grants. We actually just gave out our 2021 grants in the beginning of July. We awarded $616,000 in grants to 77 animal shelters and rescues and other nonprofits across the country that are working specifically on behalf of senior dogs. And we also provide other resources, both to animal welfare organizations that aren't grantees and to the general public. Um, we provide a monthly free webinar about topics related to senior dogs. We are really trying to increase our efforts around capacity building for animal welfare organizations, organizations that may not currently have the capacity to care for senior dogs. We really want to help them not only with money, but also with developing infrastructure, helping to change hearts and minds about why adopting senior dogs is a great thing. So we're really kind of working across the board, both both um, in terms of trying to help the public to be more open and receptive to adopting senior dogs and helping animal welfare organizations to to do the same. Can you define senior for me? I'm fairly certain it's sort of generally accepted to be around seven. Yeah, we generally go with seven, although clearly, you know, there is no hard and fast rule. It does depend on the dog's size, breed, things like that. But but we usually use seven years old as, as a rule of thumb. And when you think about it, though, I, I think it's important to think about the, the individual dogs because if you think about how advances in veterinary medicine are allowing dogs to live longer you know an average of 12 13 14 years old a dog who's seven has as much time ahead as behind so i think it's important as we're talking about senior dogs to recognize that a dog that's seven or eight or nine probably has different needs than a dog that's you know 12 or 13 or 14. So we had Kristen Hassan on. Uh, I don't remember the episode. 
It's getting harder to recall them. I guess it's a good problem to have that we have so many. This is episode 77. Uh, but we had Kristen Hassan on from Human Animal Support Services, and we talked a lot about shelter data and the fact that there are these huge gaps. You know, in this case, tracking these granular data points like ages, you know, I feel like it's either happening poorly or not at all. I mean, here in Michigan, where I live, we've got state mandated required reporting. But if you go look at those reports, you get two buckets for age under six months and everything else. So, you know, if we're trying to understand what's happening with senior pets, super difficult to know the answer to this, I suppose. But what do we know numbers wise? How many senior dogs are dying in shelters, if we know? Yeah, that's a really important question. There is a tremendous need for better data to understand what is happening with older animals that enter shelters. So, you know, there's really just one national study from the ASPCA from about six years ago that we generally refer to, but um, that, that that said that about 50% said the live release rate for senior dogs was, I think, 56% compared to 76% for younger dogs. So there was quite a differential. But again, I, I feel like we really are doing a, a disservice by not being able to track those data year to year to understand what what the specific needs are and and be able to use those data to inform our, our strategies and efforts such that we're, we're targeting them appropriately to help as many animals as we can. Well, you and I are talking right now, mostly I think because McKenna Yarbrough with Best Friends uh, shared an email with me that you had sent sharing a study about senior dogs. The title is, I'll make sure I get this right, Factors Associated with Shelter Dog Euthanasia versus live release by adoption or transfer in the United States. So they tracked outcomes for thousands of dogs, shelters across five states. And I suppose unsurprisingly for senior pets, the outlook, not good. Right, right. Older dogs and bigger dogs and dogs in the South did not fare well. So I think that that, that does tell us that there is a lot more work to do, and there's work to do that's specifically targeted at those populations that are are faring less well. Well, transport's interesting, I think, because you know, current pandemic-driven realities aside, it, it's been such a vital life-saving program for so long. You know, we know it's really driven, pun intended, by the highly adoptables. I cannot imagine there are a lot of receiving organizations around the country calling and saying, hey, can you send me, uh, you know, every 13-year-old incontinent chihuahua uh, you've got? Are senior pets getting on transports at all? Yeah, that's one of the challenges that we found in the, the study that I recently did with a grant from Maddie's Fund. You know, I interviewed about a hundred of our former grantees and their, their program directors, their volunteers, their um, senior dog adopters. And one of the big challenges that they noted was the fact that accepting senior dogs was a risk because they oftentimes did encounter unforeseen costs in getting them ready for adoption. And, and that was a, a deterrent, you know, that was a, a disincentive to them to say, yeah, you know, 
put that dog on the transport, we'll, we'll take them. Um, and I think with the transport, you know, that's the sight unseen, you, you have even more um, of a risk potentially that that dog could require resources that you didn't anticipate. So that's, I think, where our gray muzzle grants can play a role in providing that extra cushion for organizations to be able to say, okay, you know, we, we should, should something unforeseen come up that we need to address in order to make sure that this, this dog is as healthy as he or she can be and is ready to be adopted and get into a forever home. You know, we have that, that extra amount of money that we can invest in the dog's dental care, for example, you know, that's a huge issue Um, or, you know, whatever other blood work um, that they might need to give adopters the confidence to know that, you know, okay, I, I can handle this dog's expenses or, you know, this dog is, as, as one of the grantees put it, right as rain, got new chompers and is ready to go. Well, everyone listening to this has lost a pet. And let's be honest, you bring, somebody brings a senior pet into their life, it is likely that you're going to experience that devastating feeling of losing a pet much sooner, uh, a few months, even a few years maybe, but I think there are a lot of people out there still, I'd almost call it like a Marley and me effect or something where, you know, the public, when it comes to pets, people want the baby. They want that tiny puppy. They want that bottle fed kitten. And then you get to share the next decade plus together and share all those life experiences. You know, Marley and me, there just aren't a lot of people turning up to adopt 19 year old cats. Have we been able to turn the tide at all with that kind of public perception, you know, the marketing of senior pets? Right. I I mean, I think there is definitely more to be done in terms of messaging around senior dogs and promoting the benefits of adopting a senior dog. Um, You know, as you said, a dog who's seven, you know, we, we, we know that that actuarially speaking, they probably have a good number of years ahead of them. And, and they are past the the puppy stage of chewing and house training, and all of the things that are really pretty labor intensive when you adopt a dog. Uh, You know, I think the other thing about a, a senior dog is that you, you know what you're getting, you know, the dog's personality has been developed, their characteristics. So I think there is an advantage there in being able to choose a dog that has the characteristics and the personality that is the best fit for your family and your lifestyle. I think that what I, another thing that I have uh, that I found from from interviewing our our grantees and, and program directors is that there's work to be done among shelter and rescue staff to change their perceptions about senior dogs. You know, one of the things that I was struck by was the fact that the folks that I talked to said, you know, that that by getting the, the gray muzzle grant and, you know, promoting, having the, the wherewithal to, to save senior dogs, to, you know, take them off the transport or to take them out of the, the local shelter to get them ready for adoption and then to promote them, that that experience actually changed the views of the, the shelter staff and, and really 
help them to see that wow you know this this really can work this is this is not so scary this is something that you know if if we promote the joys and benefits of senior dog adoption the community will step up and adopt those senior dogs and and that just really just kind of changed changed the conversation in those shelters around what was possible for older dogs. Yeah, it surprises me, I think, at how few rescue organizations there are dedicated to senior pets. I, I can accept the fact that the public isn't universally sort of warm to the idea of adopting a senior pet, but for us, the animal welfare movement, like we do this, we love the hardest cases, we love the pets that very few others want to help. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure that I, I have a definitive answer. I, I think that there is some, probably just some bias towards, you know, younger beings in general. I, I think that, you know, we we haven't. I think we've just we've missed some opportunities to really understand the whole landscape in animal welfare and what what the nuances are in terms of of age and some other characteristics and i think that understanding understanding those things and having the data to to back up what we might think is going on is really important as i said to craft strategies be they you know intervention strategies in, ter- in terms of shelter medicine or marketing you know messaging strategies to, to really inform those strategies so that we can help more animals either stay in homes where they are with people who love them or get into new, new forever homes. Community supported sheltering, the shift we've seen over the last few years really accelerated during the pandemic. And it's really just this idea, right, of keeping people and pets together. I, again, I don't know what we know in terms of data, but I've got to think for a lot of senior pets that enter shelters surrendered by owners, that if you start to have a conversation with that owner, you know, why are you surrendering that pet? You know, you're going to find that some of those things you can solve, you know, something like not enough money for a, a veterinary procedure. I mean, senior pets are expensive and I can tell you that from experience. And, uh, you know, if, if you didn't know any better, you'd feel like, you don't have any other option. I, I got to pay the rent. I got to pay my insurance. I got So how could I afford this ginormous bill? And faced with that, you want to make sure that that pet gets care, right? So you think by doing that, you're making that right decision by the pet, but the right decision is for that pet to stay with the owner. So the shift to community supported sheltering, if anything, logically, I think hopefully it's going to benefit senior pets uh, in a bigger way. Right. Right. And so that's actually something that we focused on more this year with our our grants. And actually, we also have a special grant program that we launched in February called the Learning Partnership. We got a grant from a private foundation to launch the Learning Partnership. And it was it was based on some of the findings from our Maddie's Fund study, specifically around this idea of prevention and the fact that we needed to do more to identify problems early and intervene, as I said, before they become costly and unmanageable and present pet owners with, you know, kind of the feeling that they have no option but to surrender their animal. So we invited 
um, 15 of our then current grantees to submit a proposal to do a special pilot program focused specifically on preventing the surrender of senior dogs. So we had some great, great proposals and we selected three organizations to pilot test these prevention programs. And as part of this, this pilot program, these three grantees are really working together in a, a great collaborative way. So we have meetings every other month to discuss what's going well, what's not going well, where there are where there are barriers that we can sort of think through together as a group. And I, I think that you know my hope is that we will have some great learning come out of this partnership that we can use to help other organizations to improve their efforts at preventing senior dogs from coming coming into care. So actually one of one of the programs, just for example, <clears throat> is um, we're working with One Tail at a Time in Chicago. And their program is called the Silver um, Ticket Program. So they're working with their community outreach partners. Um, uh, and they're so like food pantries and that kind of thing, services for, for people. And they are offering silver tickets to people who are coming, who have senior dogs who are coming to these outreach events. And the, the tickets offer um, a free, um, complete veterinary workup to identify any, you know, health problems and um, provide them, the, the, these folks with, with preventatives, heartworm, flea and tick, that kind of thing. So the idea is to, to get people who might not otherwise have access to veterinary care. So they, they're actually going out into the community and, and picking people up and with their, with their dogs and driving them to the clinic, getting them their, their healthcare appointment and then driving them back home. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity to learn more about what, what works, what doesn't work and, and how we can make those efforts even more successful. I love that silver ticket. You know, I'm a, an unabashed fan of Heather Owen and uh, One Tail at a Time. She was just on a couple episodes ago, in fact, talking about their pet mutual aid program. And that silver ticket program is part of that. Uh, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that they're doing great work on, on this issue as well. So those grants, the things you fund, what would you say are like the most effective things, the most important? Like if you could wave a magic wand and have something in every community for senior pets and their owners, what would that be? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's, there's so many of them. I, I think that what's most important is having that continuum. You know, we talk about the continuum of care in the, the world of, of human services. So I think having that continuum of care for in in the animal welfare world is really important. So having having things like from the and also if we think about, about it from a public health perspective, right? So we think about sort of primary, secondary, and, and tertiary prevention. I think that's the kind of model that we really need to have in animal welfare in every single community. So if we think about primary prevention, we think about programs like the Silver Ticket program in Chicago, where they're they're actively reaching out to people whose senior dogs have not been to the vet for at least a year, and they are getting those dogs into the vet for, you know, basically a, a wellness checkup and, you know, following up then 
on any issues that might be identified from that checkup. And then if we think about um, secondary prevention, we might think about uh, programs like um, the uh, Asheville Humane Society's helpline. So they're another one of our learning partnership grantees. So their focus is on providing a, <clears throat> a helpline and a, um, a space for people in the community who, who have senior dogs that have um, some sort of health problem to get uh, vouchers to cover the treatment of those problems to prevent the surrender of their dogs. So that what they have found actually is they're, they're doing a survey of their past clients from the helpline to, to determine how much their help actually helped. <coughs> Excuse me. So they're asking about whether or not the amount, the, the, the voucher amount, which is usually in the neighborhood of, I think, $150 to $200, if that was actually sufficient to cover the, the costs of care for their senior dog, or if they actually needed more, if they needed less, what the barriers were to using the voucher, either at, you know, in their local vet or elsewhere. And um, what they're finding is that, in fact, you know, maybe that amount isn't actually enough. So I think um, that that piece is really important to be able to help people who are you know, in distress with their animals and um, get them, make sure that they're getting the care that, that they need to prevent them from having to give up the animal. And then I think for, for the, the tertiary prevention piece, we need to equip shelters and rescues with the resources that they need to be able to accept senior dogs into their organization and provide them the care that they need to be able to get to be ready for adoption. So I think if we if we had that continuum in every community, I, I think we would really be able to save far more senior dogs. Lisa, I'm sorry about this, but I got to ask cats. Ah, the cat question. Yeah, I know. Well, it's so funny. We talked about one tail at a time a minute ago, and now I'm asking you about cats. I give uh, Heather a, a hard time about the fact that they're one tail at a time dog rescue, and that's what they started as. And today they're helping cats and I always tell her she needs to change her logo. Uh, but do you have any sense of what the situation is for cats, senior cats? You know, we already know that perfectly lovely young kittens and young adult cats, uh, you know, dying at a two to one rate in shelters. So for every one dog killed in shelters, two cats lose their lives. It's nationally. Uh, and so those numbers don't bode well for senior cats. So um, if I may, I may be letting the cat out of the bag, as we say. Ooh, yes, please. I love when we break news on the podcast. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, we just received a special grant from one of our one of our very special donors in memory of his cat. And we are just now, just this past week, I have been discussing with about 10 of our current grantees what they are seeing around senior cats. And we have had a tremendous response. People have said, oh my gosh, there is nothing else out there, <clears throat> excuse me, for senior cats. And we need this so much. We need help with our senior cats. And so I've been getting statistics and talking about um, 
you know, what the challenges are around taking in senior cats, getting them adopted out, finding them foster homes. So we are going in the next short while to be launching a pilot program, um, a special pilot grant or two focused on senior cats. And we will, uh, you know, kind of like the learning partnership, we will um, see what that offers and it, it is perhaps an area that we will look to grow because as I said, there really is not a national organization out there that, that we are aware of that is focused specifically on senior cats and and this is also clearly an area of need. So we're looking to to pivot in that way perhaps as well. So does that mean you'll also be going through a rebrand and adding a cat to the logo? <laughs> And we haven't gone there yet. We haven't gone there yet, but but we we definitely recognize that there is a need to focus greater attention on the, the needs and well-being of senior cats. Always, always, always on the Best Friends podcast, we want to make sure we're helping people understand ways they can go out there right now and have an impact. So for senior pets, are there programs that have maybe a lower barrier of entry for shelters and rescues? something I can do right now. Maybe a seniors for seniors, like that's a program I think has been around a while and a lot of people across the country are doing it. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, you know, senior for senior programs are are definitely have definitely been successful. The one thing I will say though is that what we have learned from seniors to senior for senior programs is that Programs that are able to offer smaller dogs are much more successful than programs that can only offer bigger dogs. So I think that's something for for organizations to consider. You know, Muttville is one of our grantees, and they they have a lot of smaller dogs, and they've been really successful with with that kind of program. So also Little Shelter in New York, they have a senior for senior program, and they've been really successful with that. But I but I will say that if if a, shel a shelter or um, rescue is considering that kind of program, I would focus it on the smaller dogs. One thing that that is really, as you say, low barrier, you know, it's it's pretty easy to do, it is to change the way we talk about senior dogs. Um, you know, if we think about how we how we market senior dogs, what we emphasize about them in our uh, promotional materials, I think that that, you know, talking about senior dogs in a positive light and emphasizing their their strengths and why what the benefits are of, of senior dog adoption. I think that's something that's that's really easy for anybody to do. It doesn't cost any money. Um, it just takes a little bit perhaps more introspection and thinking about, you know, what how how are we presenting these dogs to the public and how how might we present them in, in a different light that that really shines a spotlight on them and, and highlights their their strengths and their benefits. Well, you want the perfect example of that. Go right now to Facebook, type in the Gray Muzzle Organization, like the page, and then just start going through all of the posts. They're so positive and so uplifting. You know, I think you do such a great job of telling the story of senior pets, you know, in, in such a great way. It's never a you know, if you don't save this dog, he's going to die old and alone, uh, you know, or, 
this horrible person that dumped this dog. You know, it's, uh, I, I think you really tell the story uh, of, of how wonderful senior pets can be. It's true. And, and I think that, you know, shelters and rescues that do take the time to kind of rethink how they're presenting senior dogs and what their assumptions are about whether or not those dogs are quote unquote adoptable, will find that if they if they put those dogs out there in a positive light, like I said, they 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 will be surprised. I I am very confident in saying they'll be surprised in finding that the community will step up and and open their hearts and homes to those dogs. And I think seeing the community open their hearts and homes is then sort of self reinforcing, and and helps the, the shelters and rescues to say, "Wow, you know, look at that! I'm surprised. This actually was successful. People did adopt these dogs. Maybe some of my or our assumptions about the adoptability of the dog weren't weren't really warranted. Um, so hopefully that will will create some momentum around continuing to to offer those dogs to the public and present them in a, a really warm, positive light. Lisa, I'm always into good stories. So uh, is there something that comes to mind, maybe something from one of your grantees? Uh, I really genuinely need a story that's going to brighten my day. <laughs> A good story. Let's see. We had one of our grantees in the Carolinas was a poodle rescue and they had rescued a, a, there were, I think, eight standard poodles that were in a hoarding situation. And they, there was one that was particularly in bad shape. Her name was Remy. And they had a gray muzzle grant and they, they said, you know, we're, you know, we're going to take Remy. We're going to see what we can do to heal her, her mind and her body. And they brought her into the, the rescue and they, you know, it, it took some time to get her, to get her healed. Um, she had been, you know, living in a horrible situation for all of her life and it had never had any veterinary care. And she was a finally ready for adoption the family came to 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 visit the rescue and to visit remy and they they fell in love with her and they were they were driving home and they they called a family friend who had a little little girl and um said you know we're bringing remy home and the little girl said well you know are, are you gonna keep her name remy and they said well you know i don't know what do you think and the little girl said well you know, because she had known about the story of, of Remy coming from this hoarding situation, living her whole life in a cage. So the little girl said, well, I think we should call her Lucy because she's finally loose from that cage. They changed Remy's name from, from Remy to Lucy and Lucy is living her happily ever after with a family that adores her. Are you saving senior pets? Tell us about it. The email is podcast at bestfriends.org, and it doesn't matter if you're solely focused on them or not. We want to know what you're doing to impact the lives of seniors. Podcast at bestfriends.org. The team behind this program, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>